0: Welcome to Cuyamaca Conversations. My name is Taylor Smith. I'm the chair of the performing arts department at Cuyamaca College. For today's episode, I'm going to interview Ruben Valenzuela. Ruben holds several pretty high profile positions here in San Diego. He is the chorus director for the La Jolla Symphony, the artistic director and founder of the Bach Collegium San Diego as well as his day job, so to speak, at the All Souls Episcopal Church in Point Loma. Today's discussion revolves mostly around his work with Bach Collegium, San Diego, which is a choir and orchestra that specializes in performing works from the 17th and 18th centuries. Ruben and I actually know each other from before my time here in San Diego, as we We're part of the same PhD program at Claremont graduate university. We also talk a bit about trying to deal with the crazy stressfulness of this current COVID situation and what that means for arts organizations. Hey Ruben, thanks for being here, man. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for asking me. Thanks. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about, about you. Um, As I I was mentioning just a minute ago, we were kind of joking about, you know, like what exactly does Ruben Valenzuela do? You have you wear lots and lots of hats. So um, what would be your kind of the quick way of describing what it is that you do? What
1: Uh, Probably these days and probably for a long time now, my primary instrument, I jokingly say, is email. That's (laughs) kind of what I do, man. Uh, It's organizing a lot of things, making sure people know where to be at a certain time what they need, they have what they need, blah, 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 blah. And then obviously there's the music end of it, which I'm usually involved in. But yeah, for a long time it's been that. It's just been organizing events. I feel like I just organize events one to another. That's 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 kind of the, the major hat I wear. It's organizer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. But at said events then what what would yeah. what do you do? Yeah.
1: So depending on on the event, um, you know, I wear Three basic hats. Uh, one of them is my church gig that I do where I'm the music director there. Um, and so I'm the organist of the church and the, cho- uh, the, the choir director. So I do all the all the major organ playing there week to week. And right now it's a little weird because, of course, most churches are online and my church is online. And so what that means at the moment is that I have to go in there during the week and record a bunch of stuff. Um, which is um, obviously kind of par for the course at the moment. Uh, but in a normal situation, I would rehearse the choir on Thursday. We, we, we kept a pretty hefty music schedule there. Um, and the organ there at All Souls Episcopal Church is uh, quite a phenomenal uh, late 17th century copy, sort of a northern German instrument, which is fabulous. So that, that keeps me interested. Um, then La Jolla Symphony Chorus—we're shut down, of course—but um, that is a big chorus, uh, upwards of a hundred, and that was a, a weekly rehearsal. And then Bach Leg in San Diego is um, best way to describe that is—I mean, there are events that happen throughout the year from September to uh, June, kind of project based, but the planning and the organizing is 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 year year round. And for those re- for those, it's leading rehearsals um, conducting rehearsals and also serving, um, a lot of the times as a, you know, continual player either on organ or harpsichord. So,
0: yeah. So, um, now, you know, as we said, I mean, that's a lot of stuff. That's three, you know, big, uh, big jobs to try to tackle. So what are there, are there things that you do to try to kind of keep all of that straight to keep yourself like energized, organized with all of that?
1: Funny that you should ask because just recently it got so bad and crazy because of the fact you know usually it's a little busy but at the moment I, I'm finding a lot of obstacles because in all three of those jobs I've had to reimagine rethink how we're going to do what we're going to do so that's been quite a quite a big big task um, and so I've actually started to take odd day off a completely novel idea of like i thought you know what thursdays is my day off i'm just gonna like not do anything unplug on thursday um and i've also started to um you know on a daily basis um go for a walk and um i just got back from a run that sort of thing just because uh, just the way i'm wired my personality i could i could easily like get up at in the morning and start email and be at my computer and not shut it down until somebody tells me to shut it down. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's bad. So, um, I've had to do these sort of disciplined things lately to kind of keep yeah, myself sane. Yeah.
0: So now can we, let's, let's rewind a bit. Um, if I'm remembering right, yeah. you are not from San Diego originally, right? You're,
1: I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm I'm originally from Los Angeles okay. uh,
0: area. And yeah. so, uh, so what brought you down here? How, what was that path like to, to come to San Diego?
1: Well, um, so the rewind goes all the way back to 1994 thereabouts. Um, and um, a relationship at the time brought me down here. Essentially I, I, I got married and um, my partner at that point, she was one year ahead of me and she got to teach also a musician and she got a teaching job here in San Diego, um, and so I was still finishing up my undergrad. I had a few things to go, and then once I finished, I was the one that had no job. And 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 we we're like, well, let's give San Diego a a try. Um, I, I I had spent some time in San Diego, but really didn't ever imagine living here. But we, we at that moment we uh, thought to ourselves, well, let's give it a couple of years and see what transpires. And always the, the idea was that we'd go back, we'd go back to the LA area because most of my family's there. Um, and here we are, I'm still here. I stayed. So,
0: (laughs) so in that you mentioned that you, uh, you did a bachelor's degree and, and where was that was at La Sierra?
1: Yeah. La Sierra university Uh, at the moment, at the time when I was a student there, they were sort of, um, doing they, they were still called Loma Linda University Riverside because they were the liberal arts college attached to the medical school. Okay, And then when I graduated, they completely broke off uh, as an autonomous university. And then they took the name La Sierras. So there was no confusion with Loma Linda, the medical school. So I officially graduated from La Sierra University, but entered um, as a student of Loma Linda University.
0: Yeah, got it. Got it. And then uh, so then you and I actually met kind of pre-San Diego for me. Uh, in oh, right, school, right, right. That's right. Uh, at Claremont. Um, I, yeah, I was a, a master's and then PhD student at Claremont, and you were doing a PhD there, uh, and that was before I ended up here in San Diego, kind of just a weird you know, yeah. coincidence of things. Um, so how did the Bach Collegium itself come about? Where, where did that find its genesis
1: well that's kind of a complicated story but the the long the, sh- the short story basically is that um in my undergrad i was um uh, i was assigned to various voice studios um to play for voice lessons and uh voice recitals and that sort of thing and along the way i remember at some point somebody put some um some 17th century music in front of me and it just—I don't know—I—I I, I didn't know really much about it, and—and—and and, and it struck me as it looked weird on the page. It looked like something was wrong. It looked—I—I I didn't know what overedited meant. I—I, I, I, it may have even been the twenty-four Italian art song book, that Schirmer book that everybody yeah. uses, and it just looked like it—it it, it just looked something was kind of funky, and then—and then at the at, at that same time, I was working at the li- my one of my jobs at college was I was I worked circulation at the library and so when I when I was putting some books back I came across I just I I was kind of curious and I came across a book on on continual playing and I thought what the hell is this you know it's like what I I didn't know any of this existed nobody had mentioned it to me yet um and and I felt somewhat like deceived like here I was playing this music and nobody at at any point had said to me by the way there's this whole tradition, blah, blah, blah. And and so I started to just kind of seek it out on my own um, and sort of like eye-opening thing. And then fast forward, when I get to San Diego and when it became obvious that, you know what, we're, we're, we're going to just kind of lay some roots here in San Diego, I wanted to get involved with early music and kind of do more with that. And there was really nothing to speak of here, really nothing to speak of. So then I thought, well, you know, what the hell, I'm going to Try to get some musicians together and see what happens. And it was completely naive, naivete, you know, complete, um, you know, ignorance is bliss moment that I just said, let's just do something. And so there were some really early attempts at things. We did some handle things, some personal things, some early Bach things that were probably dreadful. Probably if I had recordings of them, um, and that 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 was kind of the thing that planted the seed. Was wanting. I, I just had a great time. Um, doing that music. I just really thrived in that. But here's the interesting twist. When I moved to San Diego and I decided to go to graduate school, I actually was gonna enroll at San Diego State University as a jazz piano major. Because oh. at the same time, I was also very interested in jazz and still am. I'm still interested, like in another lifetime, I'm, I, I'd like to, I, I wanna do jazz. Um, and when I, and I was taking lessons. Uh, both uh, during my undergrad and even a little bit once I moved to San Diego. And when it came very became very obvious that I was gonna have to let go of my organ playing and organ lessons and and that end of it to become really good at jazz, there was just no way I could find time to do both. So I, 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 I kind of had to say goodbye to the jazz thing, put it away. But then it was about that time that I realized all these amazing connections between improvisation, uh, jazz and, and early music, um, line and continual playing and that's when it all sort of just kind of cemented for me that this is what I want to do. This speaks to me. Um, I, I, I hate playing what's on the page. Um, I, I, I want to have some freedom, but still live in the classical world. So that's kind of what led me there, um, which eventually leads to, um, you know, trying to put an ensemble together.
0: Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Cause I actually, uh, when I went to college, it was actually as a jazz bassist. Like that's what I wanted oh, great, to do. <clears throat> um, and, uh, it, you know, through a kind of a weird circumstances, I ended up, um, kind of like you just kind of like stumbling into early music stuff. Uh-huh. And, uh, it was, it was similar in that some of the improvisation aspects of it were really attractive to me. And mm-hmm. I also just remember, um, in, uh, you know, just like a music literature class hearing, um, hearing like Josquin for the first time. And I was like, Whoa, where <laughs> has this been all this time? Right, you know? right. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's interesting that there's, there's this weird connection between, you know, a very modern, very, american style and then also this you know very very old and what i thought of when i started college as very dead very uninteresting world um
1: yeah you know what's interesting about that taylor is that um the thing even through high school as i was i mean i was pretty serious into i I was a pianist in high school and, and on a track i mean in fact when i started my undergrad I started as a piano major because that was the track I was on. I was very serious about piano, but one of the things that always bugged me that just never was, it just, I knew there was something missing was like, you know, the minute I deviated from the page um, or did something different or something that was not quote unquote traditional or how usually it's done, my, my piano teacher would just like not be cool with that. And, 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 and I thought I did, I did not know. I, I just thought, there's something wrong with this. Like there's like, it shouldn't be this way. Yeah. Like, why do I have to like completely adhere to exactly what's on the page? And, and I had no idea, you know? So when, I, when these worlds meet for me, it was just like a light bulb. It was just, I can still do the music that I love and I've grown up playing, but I have like, I, I, I can inject it with my own, my own thing, you know? Yeah. So that's, that, that was the catalyst for me.
0: So for one, I didn't know that you had that interest in jazz. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, I, when I, I, in another world, I, I, my
1: goal—I I would love to come back as Horace Silver. That's when I my this. uh <laughs> <laughs> favorite jazz
0: I mean, I know that you—you <laughs> you and I talked once about you—you you were a bit of a like early '60s Jamaican music. Thing,
1: that right? see, so that that's where the that's where I discovered the jazz thing was. Um, uh, and again, in high school. I I you know I played in bands we we did ska and it was always um uh the the the, the traditional 60s version of it yeah. uh, you know and that sort of like let me do let I heard improvisation and I heard that sort of thing and that led me to jazz yeah that was the thing
0: yeah so I knew that part but I didn't know that you'd uh that you had done the jazz thing as a as a possible you know outlook for yeah it interesting. So, all right. So when, um, so you kind of, you've made these first kind of inroads in like trying to put together a group here in San Diego. When did it, cause I will, I will say that right now it's definitely, you know, it's a powerhouse group. Like it's a very, very well-respected group. You, you put on very good concerts, um, maybe the best on the West coast. Uh, when did it kind of transition to, this is a, I don't know, I don't know how else to say it other than like, this is a big deal and I'm going to really make this happen. What what was that transition like?
1: Um, I think that it's f- funny because, you know, that you say that because to me, it feels like this like nonstop thing. Um, but I, I I think probably when things started to sort of transition into something super serious, I'd say it would be, it probably is around 2009, 10. Um, and that's, when um, the administrative side of the industry uh, started to catch up to the musical side. I, I went into this with no no concept of what it took to market something, publicize something, sell tickets, organize it. I, I, I literally went into it with no knowledge. And so it was like, I liken it sometimes to um, taking it off in an airplane and building it in the air i was just sort of like oh a 501c3 what's that i don't know oh okay let's, let's add that and 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 we need um you know software to keep track of finances oh my gosh like okay finances what do we need to know oh I, okay it is important so in that and that and and right around 2010 um i think it was the, the first time that i had a board of people like two or three people that kind of came to um really to rescue me and say you know what we believe in what you do and we're gonna sort of like help you and take some of this off your plate you you know you have all the best of intentions but you don't know anything about like money you have the best of intentions but you don't know anything about like filing paper with the irs so you stay you know you know legit so all of these things started to kind of fall into place around that time and once those things started to fall into place I think slowly but surely it sort of I came out from under the the weight of that administrative thing that was weighing heavily, and and I started to be able to focus more on the music, and I think that's when things started to kind of evolve more quickly.
0: Yeah. So you got you got a team in place to kind of take some of that load off of you. Correct. And secondly, they knew what they were doing, and you didn't. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
1: and and then just right after that, as and this is probably the same goes true with many other organizations um i just was able to tap into some who are now very best friends of mine who are on the board and support supporters who really um uh put the ensemble on their back and say you know what i really truly think that what you're trying to do here is worthy and and i really want to support this in a big way and ha- had that not happened probably that would have been the end around 2012, 13. Yeah, uh, yeah, but but here we are. So
0: great. So now with with the Bach Collegium, um, how many of those folks, both the choir and the orchestra, uh, percentage wise, how many of them are local people, like like in San Diego itself?
1: So on the on the choral side, when we do things with singers, like a choral set, uh, it tends to be pretty even. Like 50% are local people. Um, there's a very strong uh, local contingency of of professional choral singers. Um, but along the way over the years, I've made some um, really good friends and and some of our core members have become folks who are not here in San Diego. And then on the orchestra, I'd say that, geez, um, most of I'd say like a quarter of them are local. And when I say local, I mean Southern California. Um, um, and then the rest are, you know, especially the wind and the wind players tend to come from elsewhere. Um, so, so yeah.
0: Do you have any ideas of what it would, what it would require to to make that a larger percentage of that being local? Yes, I do. I do, and and I think
1: this leads me very well back all the way back to when I was at San Diego State doing my master's work. Is that um, w- at that moment when I was interested in early music, there was no university here in San Diego where I could say, you know what, I want to do a degree in early music and pursue this. There was just nothing. And I think one thing that would change this this completely would be if one of the universities would say, you know what, we're gonna take on an early music program and start to produce musicians who know, who know this language, um, which th- there really there not So um, until that changes, I think it'll be the same thing where there's just a, a pool of people who are here and the vast majority have to come from elsewhere.
0: So there's not really a feeder. There is no university. feeder. Yeah.
1: No. Yeah. There's no feeder unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and you know that's that's kind of weird cuz I I'm under the impression that that some schools have kind of like dipped their toe in that water and then have kind of they've always just backed out or or whatever, you know.
1: Yeah, SCSU when I was uh, again going back to my time at SCSU there my principal professor there who who I worked with closely his name is uh, Louis Peterman he was the last person to dip his toe in the early music world specifically. He, he was a recorder player and he actually had a class, a, a collegium that he held, like it was on the syllabus. Mm-hmm. It was a thing and, and there, was, there was an ensemble that he would put together and they would do things. But w- once he retired some years ago now, that kind of went away. Yeah. So, um, so unfortunately there hasn't been a major presence uh, since really. Yeah. Uh,
0: so let's talk a bit about you as a, um, as a performer. So you play at the church for yeah. the services and stuff. Do you do any other performing? Like do you make guest appearances with other groups or are you Yeah,
1: I there 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 there's some um three or four that have become sort of like every few years or on an annual basis. Um one of them is uh Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in New York City, they have a long-standing thing they call Bach Vespers, where they do um, Bach cantatas in context of liturgy, in a Vespers liturgy, Um, and they've been doing that for a long time, and so I've done a few of those. Um, In fact, one of my last live gigs before the whole shutdown was, I was in New York literally a, a week before the shutdown, um, and then, uh, also Emmanuel church in Boston has, um, it's an Episcopal church, but they have a long-standing tradition of doing Bach cantatas in, on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done, uh, one of those. Um, I've also done, um, some things in Mexico city over the years, um, both as a conductor and also just playing continuo for, for other, other, other ensembles. So, um, yeah, I always enjoy doing these things where you can, pop, it's actually refreshing because you can just sort of like not worry about all the other stuff and just kind of show up and do your thing and then leave right. and enjoy it and enjoy a city, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of you being stressed out about all of the other things. That exactly. On, you just exactly. show up and play. And... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I know that uh, I think this, this last summer you were you were actually going to go to Leipzig and, and yeah. do the Bach Fest thing. And, of course, that all kind of got, yeah. you know. Got closed down. Have you done that before?
1: I have been to Leipzig uh, several times, but never during the festival. Oh, okay. And this would have been my first festival. Attending my first festival, I was there. I was just going to go to attend um, to make some connections because uh, my um, goal is to get BCSD uh, onto their um, onto their uh, playlist. You know, for uh, a future. Um, Uh, Festival, which um, may very well happen in 2022 because the festival that was postponed has been moved to 2022, and not all the ensembles who were on board to do the the one that just got canceled can come. So we have sort of an unofficial um, invitation uh, along the way um, from the coordinator of the Buck festival.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I thought you were going to do like a volunteer sort of thing. You were just going to go just as a, I was
1: just going to be a tourist. I was going to, you know, go and just, just like buy my tickets and attend everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, last summer, so 2019, my wife and I like totally just did not realize that was what was going on. Yeah. We, We planned a trip through Europe for the whole month of June last, last summer. And just took a day trip up to Leipzig because we had some friends in Prague. And so we took a day trip on the train up there. And we got there and we're like, oh, yeah. This Bachfest thing's going on. Like we had no idea. Yeah. It was totally random. And uh and it just happened to be that that night, um, one of the performers was uh was somebody doing uh violin sonatas, and my wife's a violinist, and it was like, Whoa, like how yeah. many yeah. coincidences, you know? Yeah. yeah, and on that same trip. Like a week earlier, I get on a on a bus in Strasbourg, France, and I run into Shannon Zussman. Like, oh my gosh! (laughs) I get on the bus, and he's like, "Whoa!" You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's crazy.
0: So I actually have been to the Bach Fest, but only on accident. Like, I didn't even. Oh wow!
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, This was like, I mean, I was so bummed because you know when things shut down in March at that point at that moment june looked like a far distant you know right. it's like all right this will be cool things will chill out and i'll get on a plane and go well they shut it down and there was no way of going so
0: yeah well that's kind of cool though that you may have have a foot in the yeah. door now though that's yeah that's yeah yeah exciting yeah. that's cool your phd is in musicology as as is mine have Correct. Maybe you're a better musicologist than I am, but I know that <laughs> <laughs> once I put the last period at the end of that dissertation, I've done virtually no musicologizing, whatever the verb would be <laughs> since then. Have you done that at all?
1: Yeah. So it's, it, that's a great question. Um, and, and here's how I approach, how how I've always approached musicology is that I have never had any interest in just doing musicology for the sake of musicology. Like I, for me, there always has to be like a practical uh, application to it. And what led me to musicology and what, e- even before I even knew it was called musicology, was if, if I was working on a piece of music, like, um, even, like as I mentioned, you know, like I was looking at this, these 17th century music and it looked weird to me, like I, I, I'm very curious and I and I and I do my my own research and, and it leads me to sources and it leads me to uh, this and reading that and reading that. And these things connect. That's always how I have approach my music making, and, and especially with BCSD. Anytime we program something like I just go into the weeds like I do like like there's no paper, of course, but I go into the weeds of all right sources, provenance of this, you know, what was going on around society i i just go into everything every aspect of it because it's 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 so vital to really understanding how this music works um and and that's kind of how i've approached musicology and still to the to the present um as far as like my dissertation goes um that's also an interesting question because when i was finishing that up There were so many questions left unanswered, as with most dissertations, and I remember promising myself, hey, you know what, when this is turned in and it's all like, okay, I'm done, I I can then go back and work on all those loose ends. Well, I haven't, Um, probably because I was burnt out, which I was. Mm -hmm. Am I still interested in that topic? I sort of am. But I feel drawn to other topics at the moment. And one of those topics, I, I have very diverse interests in one of those other topics. In 2018, there was a composer that I basically spent a year with, and it was Healy Willen, an Anglo-Canadian composer um, who lived in the 20th century. And, and um, I was um, conducting some interviews in Toronto on his life, including family members who are still alive. And, and so I, I went into the musicology realm then pretty hard. And I wrote a bunch of articles on Healy Willen At the moment, I'm absolutely, not that I wasn't, but I'm, it's like I have fallen in love with J.S. Bach all over again. I know that sounds strange, but it's mostly because I'm, because of the shutdown, I've been really diving into the Clever Ubung book three, which is a massive collection of organ music of Bach. And it's just, it just blows my mind. And so that's led me to reading sources Mm. on the Clever Ubung three and how, what, who, what, and all that sort of thing. So that's, that's, that's the shape my musicology takes these days, you know, but as far as uh, am I interested in publishing articles, if one comes my way, sure, but I'm not, that's not like a priority for me at all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think I'm, I'm similar. I mean, I, I do know that uh, one thing that's similar is I musicology didn't know that was even a thing until maybe like my third year of college. Um, and I, I really mostly went into it because, uh, well, so when I went to a master's degree, I, I was, like, really excited and, and amped up about early music. And that was kind of, you know, these, these historical performance degrees were kind of a new thing at yeah. the time. And Claremont didn't have one when I started. And I'm like, okay, well, musicology seems that's the next closest thing. You know, that's what... Yeah. So... Uh, then when I got to Claremont, then they did actually start that historical performance thing. So I kind of jumped onto that, but um, got it. I actually got pretty tired of that. I mean, <laughs> with, I don't know, I, like by the time I finished my master's degree and then kind of was thinking about what am I going to do for a doctoral program and musicology still made sense because that's what I had you know, already had experience with. but the, the, the story I tell is this didn't actually happen, but it makes a nice story is that I just got tired of sitting around a table and like bickering about temperaments and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Does This stuff really matter that much. And I get why it's important, but like, I was just burnt out, you know, Yeah. let's just make cool music. That's what I wanted to do in the first place, you know? So I I understand the musicology uh, for the sake of, informing the performance and making the performance better yeah that i totally get but i do sometimes get lost in the weeds of like all of the musicology for musicology's sake and i you know i kind of <laughs> I find it kind of bewildering sometimes so i,
1: I no I, I i i totally i, I identify with that and, and and you know the other thing because you, you, you mentioned Shannon listman and you just reminded me of something is that when i decided to go to claremont right about that time i i knew that i wanted to that I wanted to get a doctorate. And the truth be told is I was probably interested in getting a DMA somewhere. And um, Shannon, we were probably having a beer somewhere and he said to me, and we were talking about my desire to go back to school. He said, I have one bit of advice for you. I have a DMA. If you go back to school and get a doctorate, do me a favor, just get the more terminal PhD. So that way, if you do wanna do academia at any point, yeah. You you will have that PhD and I, and I thought to myself cuz again I I tend to jump into things I'm like, "Oh, all right, let's do that. Let's do the PhD, man." It sounds pretty terminal to me. Um so that's kind of what led me in that direction. Um and 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 the fact is I but I do. I I one of the, some of my favorite things I like to do actually. You said you you got burnt out. Well, at the end I was burnt out, but I was, you know, commuting to Claremont from San Diego. And when I would get there, uh, I absolutely thrived on um, sitting in a class with like, um, who I still admire greatly is uh, uh, Dr. Van Dusen. I thrive sitting in a seminar with her for three hours and just talk about impractical things. Um, (laughs) You know what I mean? I I just, I would peel away from my reality and just say, we're going to talk about like, you know, you know, things from the middle ages and, and and completely impractical. I like, I, I I just love that aesthetics. Let's talk about aesthetics. Um, And, and so I did enjoy that time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I did too, but I think that, you know, I, I don't know, I just kind of got worn out. Um, But I do, you know, I will say I miss it sometimes.
1: Yeah. No, Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a luxury, right. When you look back on like just be able to like go away from family for a few hours and just sit at the table and talk (laughs) to other humans.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, that's great. Uh, so, uh, do you have anything, do you see anything on the horizon for you personally and, or for, you know, La Jolla symphony or for Bach collegium that that are, you know, I guess you mentioned the Bach fest thing. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But are there other things, maybe smaller things?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing that has been like, been taking up a lot of time lately, as I mentioned already is the, this whole, because of this current, situation is this 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 need to reimagine what an ensemble is what a performance ensemble is and how we do what we do i mean i'll i'll be honest i you just take for granted the fact that you do a concert people come in person and they go home and you're done you do the next one but this has completely opened up this conversation at least on the bcsd end where wait a minute how how why do we do what we do how do we do it And there's a lot of power in not being constrained by geography in being able to do a virtual series that probably will be something that we don't ever stop doing, even when we get back to live audience of of making that available. Uh, On the La Jolla Symphony Chorus side, it's a little bit more complicated because the biggest obstacle there is the fact that the ensemble is so darn huge. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And with all the limitations placed on how many people can gather, that really 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 uh puts a major um puts some major obstacles up for la Jolla symphony chorus you know big works so we're actually trying to navigate that right as we speak and trying to see if we can come up with alternative programming yeah on, on the church side it's also been somewhat weird because um we've not met since march 8th and so that that suddenly i i'm almost it's almost normal now that I just go to the church on Tuesday and Wednesday and I record things. I, 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 and I don't even like question it so much anymore when you, you know, sit down and record a hymn that then is done in a virtual way. Um, every now and then again, I think, well, I mean, the the whole premise of a hymn is communal singing and here I am playing by myself in an empty <laughs> church. So, and, and it's a little, I won't lie to you. Uh, here, I'm going to like be completely transparent and say that it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of anxiety and stress about it because, I mean, as you well know, if you're a musician, you, you hope there's an end to this at some point because it's not sustainable. Like a a lot of this is not sustainable. We can't continue to do church in this way forever. There's gotta be a point where it's something changes. Otherwise, you know, I I, (laughs) have to find something else to do. So there's a little anxiety around it. Um, and, and, uh, so trying to stay positive is, 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 is tricky sometimes. Yeah,
0: no, I totally, I mean, I think that you hit it really well, that yeah, it's, it is stressful. Um, the fact that nothing's happening is stressful, which maybe is yeah. backwards to some people, but <clears throat> that's, uh, that's kind of the reality. You know, you mentioned a minute ago that there are things that you're doing now yeah. that you wouldn't have done. Yeah. You know, because of the the geographical challenges or whatever that kind of force you into this other situation that maybe you wouldn't have considered before. And I I am kind of curious to see, you know, say five years from now when (laughs) fingers crossed, this is all over and everything's back to the way it was five years ago. Um, How many of us will continue to do some of those things? Yeah. You know, and and I think about that even from like from a record production standpoint, from a pop music standpoint, like these kind of weird limitations but also interesting tools that have brought yeah. now to the fore. How many of us are going to like continue to use those tools and continue to kind of like work within those limitations because maybe we'll find that they're actually useful. Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm just right. kind of curious, to see what that does and I was I like caught on to when you said that there are things that you're doing now, that geographically you can that you, you know right. maybe wouldn't have done before. So that's
1: right. You know what it will be interesting is like you know five years from now, um, looking at, or even ten years from now, looking at, you know, YouTube timestamps of this time, and the, just the proliferation of, of musicians doing recordings, um, you know, the, using the acapella app. Or you know, doing virtual things. I mean, I have a colleague up in Ontario in Canada, who literally from day one of the shutdown, and he was all he was already like Mr. Social Media. He was always posting stuff, but he's taken it upon himself to do what he calls geist music. What he does a performance every day uh, at midday. Um, and he's been doing this since, like, March 13, and he's, like, on episode 190, something like that. Hmm. And it's staggering at this point because he continues to come up with – it's not like he's just doing, like, cheesy things. He's, like, working his way through, like, the Bach – or he's an organist – working his way through the Bach organ works. He's playing – he's doing things with small ensembles. He's doing, like – improvisations. It's just like, my God, like, and that's the kind of thing that I, you know, and and, and it's interesting to me that some people go the other direction. They just completely go inward. Yeah. They're just like, all right, I'll see you when this is all over. <laughs> In the meantime, I'm out. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing,
0: how people react to it. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, of course, all of us hope it's over sooner rather than later, but oh, I, I, know. I am, I am yeah. curious to see what it, you know, what this experience kind of does to us long-term, for the creative process and other things, you know?
1: The thing, the thing that sometimes weighs on me is that even just now you said, um, when we go back to the way it was like, I I just sometimes wonder if what, what does that mean at this point? Like the way it was, is that gone forever? And if, is there a new thing, a new reality that we are going to see at the other end that, uh, was born out of this, this experience, you know, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that is that is an interesting thought. Uh, you know, I've you've probably seen them as, as more than I have these studies that people have done about, or at least kind of anecdotal studies about the essentially how dangerous it is to sing in a choir right now. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Uh, but the fact is, it was always pretty dangerous. We just kind of ignored it, you know. Like, I know.
1: <laughs> I mean, even even now, when I go back and you see old performances, I, I don't know about you, but. I see people like pre pandemic. I'm like, Oh my God, these people are like, <laughs> they're just like on top of each other singing right. you know, and playing. And it's like, it's just, it's crazy. You know, it's just, I don't know if that'll ever change Right again, you know?
0: Right. I don't know. Will we go back to that or will we now realize actually that probably isn't the safest <laughs> thing to do? Uh, right. Who I, I don't know. And that's the kind of thing that, yeah, as far as those studies go,
1: I mean, I, I'm I, I'm I'm so confused because I mean, there's a, there's a new study every few weeks, and right. they seem the same with some minor nuances. And I, I I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, just let me know when there's a, a vaccine. Just
0: let me know when I can go back and
1: yeah, know. like I I know the dangers. I know what not to do. I'm not going to put anybody in harm. But just let me know when it's safe. Right. And we'll, right. we'll try to do this again. So
0: yeah. So this is kind of a weird, a weird question because uh, <laughs> I don't see many people in their, you know, early college years, yeah, um, with this as a career goal. However, you ended up here, <laughs> which is to say, if there was somebody who says, "I really want to do what what Ruben does." And yeah. Like, the reason I'm saying that is like I don't know very many 18 year olds that go. I want to be a choir director for an early music ensemble. Like I don't. Right. Think... Right. Uh, but like, let's assume that that is the case. Um, would you have any sort of words of wisdom or things that like have really been instrumental in that's gotten you where you are? That you kind of wish that you'd had. Like, Gosh, 20 I think, years old. Yeah. You
1: know, I would say you need to surround. Like, if I could go back my life would have been a lot there would have been a lot of less obstacles if I had known from day one more about the administrative industry side of things I had no clue it was literally learning on the job and I would say that end of it is just as important as the music making end of it and and maybe even perhaps even more um, and you have to surround yourself with people um Who have the chops, like I mentioned, the chops t- to deal with like all the mundane paperwork that is required, because it isn't just about showing up. I mean, you you might have like like you might you might you must you could be the most fierce musician, but and if you want to start something and and, and get something off the ground, if you don't have the wherewithal to like get organized and have a handle on the financial end of it, the the legal end of it, and all that sort of thing, the marketing end of it, it, it's it you know you're, it's not gonna probably go much too many places so I would say surround yourself with those people that have those chops that know those things and and try to get yourself out from under that as soon as possible because that that really was a major obstacle for me and the other thing I would say is don't um again assuming that we're talking about classical music I think it's so important not to pigeonhole yourself and and sort of like put the blinders on and just isolate yourself musically. Um, I I have pretty diverse interests and and to me, good music is good music. Um, A groove is a groove. It doesn't matter what the genre is. It just so happens that I like 17th and 18th century music a lot of the time um and so let those influences like come into your music making listen to as much as you can because that 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 to me i can usually tell when somebody is like oh yeah they they, they they've got bigger ears than just you know corelli mm-hmm. they've listened to other things and they're not afraid to improvise also improvise i can't stress that enough improvisation in classical music is is an art that needs if i could go back in time that needs to be taught like that needs to be like at the very core of piano lessons from day one, because I can't tell you how many piano students I think probably are stifled from the first lesson they sit down and their teacher's like, what's on the page, play that and only that. And, and I think people are stifled. And I think that sets a, co- a course, that, that, that's another thing. Just don't be afraid to improvise, hmm. no matter the genre. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <clears throat> yeah, no matter what your piano teacher or your orchestra director tells you, just do yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just
1: – and the thing the thing that's exciting, that's I mean, that's one of the things that's been keeping me – one of the things I'm doing right now uh, is I, I have a huge interest in historical improvisation. And so um, I, I'm looking at partimento sources and looking at um, uh, improvised counterpoint. Um, and things, and just trying to do it myself. Uh, and, and it's just so refreshing to sit down and, um, when the, you know, the world is kind of going chaotic and you can sit down and like find beauty in thirds and sixths and things that resolve (laughs) (laughs)
0: little
1: things like that are, can be very helpful. So
0: yeah, that's great. I, I, I agree that I think music schools are, are bad. They're good at training musicians, but they're bad at training professionals,
1: Yes, yes yes, yes um and and the, and the other thing is they're 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 very good or a lot of them uh, uh, and now I'm looking at uh, I'm pointing I'm pointing the finger at conservatories they're 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 uh, very good at producing incredible virtuosic players but um sometimes um not the most um, um well-rounded musicians who yes. go outside of like fast notes or accuracy all the time from top to bottom. I'm more interested in somebody who can like communicate something, even if it's not, you know, absolutely, you know, hundred percent perfect. That's, that's not important to me.
0: So, yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And, you know, at Cuyamaca, I can't take credit for putting this program in place, but that is something that we're kind of trying to do Yeah, is that, uh, you know, noticing a, a, a hole in when somebody goes to college and they study music that they very often don't get any sort of exposure or experience to that administrative side, the business side. And so, um, you know, we have this degree that is music industry studies is what it's called. And it's specifically for that exact thing. Like, yes, it's a music degree, but you got to take some business classes. You got to take some graphic design classes. Like you've got to be able to know this stuff. Uh, if I make a list in one of my classes of, Cause everybody loves to like hate on record labels. Right. (laughs) But I make this list and it's, you know, it's like 40 items long of all the things that record labels do. And my, I say to them, like, how many of you want to do all that stuff on that list? Okay. So therefore you need to hire somebody who was willing to do that stuff if you're not willing to, you know? Yeah. And there's just a lot of, of, um, a lot to do that. I know that I never got as a student. And so I think that is, that is wise that like either learn to do it or surround yourself with people who can do that for you. Yeah. Because, and, and like you pointed out earlier with the Bach Collegium, that was really the thing that it sounds like kind of changed the trajectory of the group was getting that side of it under control.
1: Yeah. So. D- most, most, uh, I I sometimes uh, liken it to taking the, the shoebox out from under the bed and saying, all right. All right, I, I've like I've I've had sole control of this for too long, and it's clearly killing me. So <laughs> let's open it up and let other people look inside and see what how they can help.
0: Yeah, yeah. hey, that's yeah. great. Thank you. Well, hey, thanks for talking with me, man.
1: Absolutely, it was a lot of fun and good to it, it, two Claremont graduates here. Yeah,
0: <laughs> fantastic, man. <laughs> yeah, should, uh, make sure it gets. That's part of the headline. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I I I think fondly on those times. That's a beautiful little uh, oasis. I uh, do too. You
0: know, I.